Okay, guys, we're in the book of Judges. Okay, so today we're going to look at the first part. Remember I told you Judges is divided into three sections. The first section has to do with the continued efforts of Israel to conquer the land, expel the Canaanite people. Uh, the second section has to do with Judges. It's really a chronology of some of the Judges. And then the third section, if you remember, has to do with the conditions of this period, what was going on during this period, and so forth. Uh, and what was it like before the king? So today, we're going to focus on chapter 1 and the first five verses of chapter 2, looking at the continued efforts. Now, we're not going to read this section of passage simply because there's much to it, but I would encourage you to read some of it later. There are some interesting details that come out as we go along. Okay, so we're going to talk about continued efforts. So we're going to take it in, again, in two parts, because we're going to look at the successes and failures of Israel. Okay, so they have some successes and failures with regards to the continued efforts. We're going to see that in chapter 1. Then we get to chapter 2, we're going to see the condemnation for disobedience. Now, remember... Let's kind of describe these folks a minute. We're not picking on them because we're similar. How are they as far as being obedient? How, how are they doing as far as being obedient to the Lord as a people? How, how have they been doing since the time they left Egypt up until the time that they come to the promised land? How did they do? Everybody's like shaking their head. No, they didn't do too good. Would you say, would you classify them as an obedient people? No, would you classify them as a grumbling people? Yeah, grumbling, complaining. Would you say that they're easily tempted by the gods of other nations? Yeah, they kind of play around with that, right? Love the Lord, but mess around with these other things. And actually, that's going to be the history of Israel up until the end of the Old Testament. They don't seem to get over that. Can't seem to wholeheartedly focus on the Lord. And, and we're not looking down on them because let's be honest, that's where we're at too, right? Yeah, we'd have to admit that. So we're going to see the condemnation because even though they got the land, even though they're seeing some successes, they got some issues too and God condemns them for it. Okay? So let's take a look. First of all, the successes and failures. First of all, we're going to look at Judah's efforts and Judah's primacy. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let's take a look. First of all, Israel asked the Lord which tribe would be the first to fight against the Canaanites. So remember, as a nation, they conquered the, the, the central part, the southern part, and the northern part. But remember, at the end of Joshua, they didn't get rid of all of the people. Okay? So now that the land has been allocated to each tribe, they have to fight for their own territory, clean up their own territory, okay? You've got it, but you've got to clean it up. So now Israel goes and says, okay, who's going to be the first one to do the cleaning up? Who's going to be the first one to attack the Canaanites? So the Lord responded that Judah would lead and that he had delivered the enemy to them. All right, so the Lord says, Judah, 
They're the first ones. And this kind of fits with all of the Old Testament, the, the, the major significant, not that they're better than any of the other tribes, but the one that the Lord has chosen as a special tribe is Judah. And we know why later, because out of Judah would come what? The king, the Messiah. So Judah is the one to lead the battle against the Canaanites, clean up their territory, and the Lord says, I've already given them into your hands. You already have the victory. That's a big encouragement, isn't it? So now Judah entered into an agreement with Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, to aid each other in the conquest. So Judah's pretty smart. They figure, you know what? We got a better chance. Let's use the strategy that we used before. Before when we took the land, we just didn't do it individually. We had help. We helped each other do it. So they went to the tribe of Simeon and they said, hey, let's form an alliance here. You are my brother. You help me take my territory and clean it up. I'll help you clean up your territory, your inheritance, and clean it up. And the two of us will get rid of the Canaanites. Okay? And so they entered into this agreement. So, here's what happens. Judah defeated the Canaanites at Bizak. Okay? So you'll, you'll read an interesting commentary there about this. Bizak, okay, so this king that they conquered, it makes it, it, it even records for you, you can listen to this, this is interesting. This king that they conquered, it records his words as saying, 40 kings have I conquered and cut off their thumb and their big toes. And now I am being conquered. That's interesting, that's the Canaanite king who did that. And now Judah was conquering him. He was lamenting that, you know, he had been the superior king and superior force, and now he was being conquered. And it also records here that Judah captured and killed everyone in Jerusalem, the Canaanites who were in Jerusalem. Now this is going to switch hands multiple times. Jerusalem switches hands multiple times throughout the Old Testament. But here, they, they capture. They would later lose it. We don't re see every instance where they gain it and lose it. But you'll see finally when they ultimately gain it under King David. Okay? So Judah defeated the Canaanites of Bezak and captured Jerusalem. Now, with the help of Simeon, Judah conquered the south and the west of the land. So with the help of Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, they conquered the south of the promised land and the west. And, and to be honest with you folks, most of that is the territory given to who? Judah. Alright? They got the biggest portion of the inheritance because of how big their tribe was and their allocation. And with the help of Simeon, they were able to conquer the south and west of the land. Now, the interesting thing, again, I would encourage you to read this because there's a fascinating story in here about Caleb. Remember Caleb? He was one of the two spies, okay? When they're conquering the Canaanites, it's in chapter 1, he 
comes to a city and he says this, the man who takes this city, I will give my daughter to be his wife. So one of his cousins or nephews or something takes the city and Caleb gives him his wife. It's interesting. You say, wow, that's a little bit different than today, right? Because nobody says, I'm giving you my daughter, you know what I'm saying? Your daughter would say, take a hike, dad. Right? Isn't that how we are in our culture? Like, who are you, dad, to tell? We don't have arranged marriages. They do in this culture. Actually, there's a lot of cultures in the world, Eastern cultures, that still do this. They have arranged weddings. Okay? So, you find that story there. Okay? And that portion that's in this scripture, chapter 1. Now, by the way, don't go to the Bible for your dating rules. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've lived through many a sermon from Baptist preachers telling me how to approach dating from the Bible. First of all, dating's not in the Bible. They arranged weddings back then. And you're not interested in arranged weddings by your parents, right? Some of your parents are like, yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, but that's not the way it was then, okay? And that definitely is not the way it is now, okay? So, with the help of Simeon, Judah conquered the south and the west of the land. Now we come to the tribe of Benjamin. They have their territory. Now here's the problem. They didn't have success. They actually had failure. The tribe of Benjamin dwelt with the Jesuits because they could not drive them out. So here they attempted to drive out the Canaanites, which was the Jezebite people, and they couldn't do it. So what did they end up doing? Because they couldn't drive them out, they just what? Live with them. They just dwelt with them in their land. Now, as we get to the end of Judges, that's not a good thing. Because if you leave these people among you, they're going to influence you. You're not going to influence them. They're going to influence you, and it's not in a good way. And this affects the tribe of Benjamin later on. They only get one verse here, but it's a major verse, and it kind of tells you you've got to deal with stuff in your life, and you've got, to, you've got to change who you hang out with because it will affect you. Isn't that what we tell people who are in recovery? I mean, I know I tell people all the time that are struggling with addiction issues, Change your friends, right? Because if you don't change your friends, you, you're not going to change. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this is what happens. They start, can't get rid of the people, so they start living among them. That's what's happening with Benjamin. Now we come to the tribe of Joseph, which is actually two half-tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay? In Judges chapter 1, it refers to them as the tribe or the family of Joseph, which is the two half-tribes. Remember, Ephraim got a portion in the land, and part of Manasseh got a portion, because the other part of Manasseh already received their portion on the east side of the Jordan. All right, so let's talk about that. So Ephraim and Manasseh were able to defeat and capture Bethel. Now, again, there's an interesting, because this is a historical book, an interesting story here about 
The place that they called Bethel used to be called Luz, L-U-Z. And when they captured it, they caught a guy on the outside of the town and said, we'll let you live if you tell us how to get in there. And of course, he tells them how to get in there, and they go in and they wipe out the city and rename it Bethel. The guy that they captured and let go, he then goes and travels to another place, and he starts a city called Luz. Starts another city called Luz. We would say New Luz, right? You know what I'm saying? Or New Bethlehem, New, you know, you know what I'm saying? New whatever. He just starts another city, and that account is in chapter 1. They were not able to capture the other cities because the Canaanites were determined to stay. So even as they tried, they got Bethel, and they tried to capture, it lists the other places that they tried to capture there in their territory, in their allotment, they were not able to do it. So they had partial success. Okay? Partial success. Now we come to the other tribes. These are the northern tribes, okay? The tribe of Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali could not drive the Canaanites from their territory. So these other tribes, all right? Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali they couldn't drive their tribes out. They couldn't drive the Canaanite peoples out of their land. So it's just telling you, they didn't have, they didn't have success. The Amorites, remember the Amorites, they were the people groups that were defeated east of the Jordan when they took that land? Well, there's Amorites also west of the Jordan. The Amorites forced and confined the tribe of Dan to the mountains. In fact, the text tells you that they kept them in the mountains, wouldn't let them come down to the valley. All right, so they're not having success there either. Okay. Now, we come to chapter 2. So let me just kind of back up here. So at this point, I don't know, if, you, if you're like me, you've got to be wondering, okay, wait a minute now, Lord. You told them you would go with them and give them the land. Didn't he say that? Joshua, the end of Deuteronomy. You would give them the land. You would drive out the nations before them. Didn't the Lord promise that? Okay, didn't he promise it? Yeah. Okay. Now, did he condition it? What do you mean by condition it? Well, didn't he tell them that they had to do something in order for that to take place? He told Israel, I'll do this, but you need to do this, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, it was the covenant. Keep the covenant. Follow the Lord. Get rid of, remember what he told them, when they came into the land, get rid of their stuff, their sacred groves, their idols, their gods. Destroy it all. Didn't he tell them to do that? And I'll be with you and I will help you to expel them. Isn't that what the Lord told them? You come to chapter 1 and you're like, wow. Some of them are meeting success, and some of them are not getting any success at all. What's going on here? And, and our first reaction would be, with all things, is to say, Lord, have you abandoned them? Lord, have you given up on them? Because it doesn't seem like you're following through on what you said. Right? doesn't seem that way if you just stop at chapter 1. I think that's why we have the first five verses of chapter 2. 
because now you're going to get an explanation from the angel of the Lord. Now, <laughs> stop for a moment. Anybody can remind me who the angel of the Lord is? Yeah, the pre-incarnate Christ, that's what we ultimately believe, but it's God. Okay, we're going to see the angel of the Lord several times in this book. But I believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. I think it's the second person of the Trinity, but it's before his revelation as Jesus through the incarnation. But he shows up and tells them why. So when the angel of the Lord shows up, folks, that's God showing up. All right? God showing up. And here's what happens. So the angel of the Lord, if you go to verse 1 and 2, recalled how he led Israel from Egypt into the land. First thing he's going to do is, hey, I brought you guys out of your slavery into the land that I promised you. All right, so he's reminding them, I am the one. I'm the one who led you. All right, so he recalled his commandments to them and how they have broken the covenant. So the next thing he does is he tells them, guys, I told you, I said to you. I, in fact, he didn't just tell them one time, right, folks? He told them many times over the 40 years of their wandering. He told them when, when, uh, when Moses died, this is the covenant. Moses gave them the covenant when he died. He told them through Joshua before they entered into the land. And when Joshua died, he told them. He told them what? Follow the Lord, keep his commandments, and what did the people say? If you look at the end of Joshua, they said, we will do this. But the angel of the Lord points out, you didn't. You broke my covenant. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Okay? So now, he questions why they did this and tells them that he will not drive out the Canaanites. So he does two things here. Number one, he's just going to flat out ask them. Because, first of all, it's not like he doesn't know. He already knows. The Lord knows everything. But he's asking them, like, have you ever done that? You and I as parents do that, right? You're disciplining your child. And your child, you already know why, but you ask them why. Your purpose in asking them why is to what? Get them to think about why. So the Lord says to them, why did you do this? Second thing he says is, because of this, I'm not driving them out. They're going to dwell among you, and they're going to be a thorn in your side. In fact, look, here's what he says. The Canaanites will become a trap. That's what a snare means. Will be a snare to them. That's They're going to be a trap, a temptation to them to have to deal with constantly, and they're going to be a what? A thorn in their side, an irritant, a problem to them. God allowed that to take place, allowed that to happen with them. Now, I think it's interesting that when we come to verses 4 and 5, you're going to see their reaction, Okay? Israel responds. So this must have been at a gathering of the tribes. And the word of the Lord, either Jesus, the, the 
angel of the Lord spoke to a prophet who then spoke to the people, or the angel of the Lord himself spoke to the people, we don't know. Doesn't tell us the details. But it's a significant gathering at a place that um, there's a response. All right, so here's the response. The children of Israel responded to the pronouncement by crying out. You, you understand what crying out is, right? Ah! Okay, all right. Crying out and weeping. All right, so they, they cried out and they wept. All right? And this is the significance of it. And this is why you know it's a significant event because they renamed the place they were at. So they renamed the place of meeting, weeping, and they sacrificed to the Lord there. That must have been a pretty significant thing to them because they changed the name of the place. Do you know what I'm saying? They changed the name of the place and sacrifice to the Lord there. Okay? Do you understand about when significant things happen, you change the name of the place? I remember, okay, this is when... All right, so you know, you folks know that I'm from the South. Okay, so I'm from South Carolina. I married a girl from up here. And when Lori and I first got married, I didn't go right immediately into ministry. I just graduated from seminary. I worked for her daddy, uh, her dad on the Christmas tree farm, and we lived near Plumville, okay? We lived near Plumville, and I just got done shearing Christmas trees. Y'all know this story, I, don't, I hate Christmas trees, right? Okay, shearing Christmas trees, and I was heading home, driving through Plumville, and it rained. Now, I have to tell you something, because I'm from the South, so I had an SUV. Oh, that should be fine, George. No, it wasn't. It was like they would have an SUV in the South, no four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive, okay? Two-wheel drive vehicle. So it rained, and in Plumville, there is a 90-degree turn. So I'm coming along, and it just rained. The roads are slick, and I put on brakes, and I didn't, wasn't stopping, and I went right into that corner and wrecked, messed up the front of the vehicle. All right, enough said. From that point on, for the for a few years afterwards, we would refer to that as Cannon's Corner among the family. Because that was a significant event, right? That was where George wasn't driving slow enough around that corner and lost it and went into the ditch. Okay? You've done things like that. You refer to places based upon a significant event. Well, this is what's going on here. They renamed the place of meeting Weeping. And would refer to that as from here on out as a significant event in the history of Israel. Okay? Now, next week, we are going to start with verse 6. And we're going to start going through these judges. Okay? Because they couldn't drive out the Canaanites and because the Lord would use oppressors to punish them, they couldn't get the lesson. And so we're going to start seeing a pattern here in their life, and we're going to start looking at that next week.